So we're studying the Maimar Basilagani from the Rebbe, Tavshim Mem Dalad, 1984. We started last week. We did chapters one and two, which were mostly a review of the basic themes of the original Basilagani from the previous Rebbe. We didn't, and we all know that the point of this Maimar is to get into a more focused analysis of chapter 14 of the original Basilagani series. But we didn't yet get into that. <clears throat> in fact, not only did we not get into chapter 14, we didn't even get into the chapters that lead into chapter 14. So really, <clears throat> what we're going to do today, God willing, is l- we're going to get to the part of the Rebbe's Mimer from Tafshin Memdala from 1984, which um, <coughs> focuses on the chapters of the previous Rebbe's Maimur that are like leading up to chapter 14 and then actually begin the analysis of chapter 14. That makes sense to everybody. I hope so. Okay, fine. So, so if you're using the pamphlet that, yeah, I downloaded this from the Lahak website, but if you use, and this is the PDF that we sent out to the group here, and I think also it's posted on the YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, <coughs> it is page Lamed Dalid. The pages are in Hebrew, so page Lamed Dalid, which is, I think, cha- uh, page 34 of your PDF, I believe. Mm-hmm. <coughs> if you're looking at it as a PDF right now, I think it's page 34. Okay, so we're on chapter 3. <coughs> the, the bottom of the page, if you're using the same... Uh, pamphlet that I'm using. Okay. Umam Sheikh Baham Maimer, and he continues in the Maimer. The Rebbe is speaking about his father-in-law's Maimer, and he's giving us a guided tour through that Maimer. He's refreshing our memory about what was studied there, and so he reviews and says he continues in the Maimer. In the footnote here, footnote 21 says Perik Yud meaning where in the previous Rebbe's serial of Maimorim in chapter 10. Okay, and remember, we need to get up to chapter 14, and that's where we're going to park for a while and focus. But we're, the Rebbe's now reminding us what it says in chapter 10 of the previous Rebbe's Maimer. Shal shem nikroyim Yisrael tzivas Hashem. That the Jews are called tzivas Hashem the armies, the legions, the soldiers of God. like it says, was on that very day, all of the armies of God left the land of Egypt. This is speaking about the Exodus. So the Jewish people left Egypt. And when the Jewish people leave Egypt, they're referred to as the armies of God. This is important. And we have to explain the connection. What's the connection? Why are we referring to the Jewish people as such? This, that the Jewish people are not affected by the falsehood of this world, the darkness and the falsehood of this world. Remember what we learned last week, that the world is sheker, shin kufresh, and we make out of that a keresh, a plank or a beam for building a mishkan. So we're taking a dark world and we're turning it into light. We're using darkness as the raw materials and we're transforming this dark world into a home for Hashem. Right? From last week? So the fact that we're able to do that, what gives us the wherewithal to handle that? Not only to not succumb to it, but to the contrary, to actually successfully transform the darkness to light. It is through serving Hashem in a manner of mesiris nefesh, that means self-sacrifice, kabbalas oil, that means receiving the yoke of Hashem's authority, and therefore appropriately, we are called the army, like a soldier. In other words, what gives us the ability to handle this mission is that we are soldier-like. Specifically, what? Don't we create the Kesher? We, co- we combine it? But let's focus here. Specifically, 
the aspect of our service of Hashem that is soldier-like in terms of its being discipline and devotion and self-sacrifice. How is it possible that we carry out this mission to go into the darkness and not only not to succumb to the darkness, but to transform the darkness because we are soldier-like. We follow our orders and we do not divert from them and we don't complicate it and we don't overthink it and we don't doubt it. We go out there and we do, we march and we do what we're supposed to do. This is also why in the context of the exodus from Egypt we're referred to as soldiers. This description that the Jewish people are called the army of God, its original context is the exodus. Why? Because the way that we serve the Shem, successfully serve the Shem, in the Egyptian exile. And also the way we successfully serve Hashem in all exiles, which are also called Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the archetypical exile. Every exile is called, um, at least, uh, what do we call it, uh, proverbially, every exile is Mitzrayim. Al Shem Shem like the Medr says, every exile is called Mitzrayim because they, Mitzirus Lisrael means, well, it says in Yiddish, they make an Yiddish in Yidden, they make problems, they make pain for the Jewish people. The way to successfully navigate that is through, again, Kabbalah's oil and Mitzirus Nefesh. Okay? Receiving Hashem's yoke, meaning submission to authority. And Mesiris Nefesh, which is self-sacrifice. And all of this is described with the, with the title Tzivas Hashem, which is this soldier-like discipline and devotion. Shizel Inyan Tzivas Hashem, Meloshin Chayel. Umam Sheikh Levayer, and then he continues and explains. The Rebbe is reminding us what it says in the Friedrich Rebbe's Mimer. Mash Yisrael the Jews are not just called the army, they're called the army of God. The army of God, Hashem, Yud Kevavke. Share ain't the shame, Tsevokois, Shuhu shame Kodesh, Mezayne shame, Shame Nimchokim. This is not the name Tsevokis, which is one of the seven non erasable names. Okay, I have to explain this. There are many ways to refer to Hashem. Some are actual Shemois, like go put it in the Shemus, right, the little box, mm -hmm. right, with your kids' homework, you know what I'm talking about? So those are holy, actual names of Hashem, and then you have Kinuyim, you have nicknames of Hashem. Chanun, Rachum, you know, he's compassionate, graceful, but then there are actual Shemois, like Havaya, Yud Kivavke, or like Adnai, Aleph Dal Nun Yud. Or Kale, Aleph Lamed, or Shakai, Shin Dalad Yud. You'll probably notice a little trend here, which is that we don't pronounce these Shemais. Every one of these Shemais, we do a little something to avoid pronouncing it fully. Did you catch that? Yeah? Right? We don't pronounce it fully. So there's a name. So there is a word. First, I'll just say the word in Hebrew. It's not a shame. And I'm expressly saying this is not a shame of Hashem. It's just a word in Hebrew, which is tzvo'ois, which means armies. But there's also a shame Hashem called tzvo'ois. And that's why I put the little kuf in there, even though it sounds funny to the untrained ear. But I say that because if I'm referring to Hashem, then I wouldn't just say a name of Hashem without like reading a full Pusik, without re reading a full Torah verse. Like Kale Tzavokes Hashem. Right, it's Kale Hashem. Right, exactly. So each one of them, what? Usually together. Right. Okay, well there are different, there are different combinations. No, there are different combinations of Shemais. The point is, the Friedrich Rebbe points out in his Mimer that when, when the Jewish people are called Tzivas Hashem, that is not the same as the shame tzavokos, even though it's spelled the same. 
Yeah. It's the same word, kind of, but it's not at all the same thing. Because Tzavokos is Hashem himself. It's a name for Hashem. And he says, This name was revealed by the prophets. In other words, in Chumash, the five books of Moses, you will not find Hashem referred to by the Shem Tzavokos. That's something you'll find in Nach, in the prophets. In Torah, meaning in Chumash, you will not find that shame. Where will you, what, what will you find? You'll find the word, but in that context, in Chumash, it's uh, referring to not Hashem, but to the Jewish people. It's not a title for Hashem. It's talking about the Jews, who are Hashem's army. And grammatically speaking, this is called Lashen Samuch. This is when you take um, two nouns and put them together, and one noun is possessed by the other noun. You know what I'm talking about? Adjective. No, not an adjective. You put two nouns together, and one belongs to the other. So, Shatzvois nitvol l'shem havaya. The armies here belong to Hashem. They are tofel. They are secondary to Hashem. That's why grammatically we don't say tzvois. We say tzivus, tzivois. There are rules for how you do this, and I'm not going to get into it. But basically, you shorten. Uh, you know, like a dvar Torah, right? So it's not a davar, it's a dvar Torah. When you have a word that's juxtaposed with another word in order to make, two nouns juxtaposed one to the other in order to make the first noun belong to the second noun, so there's a certain grammatical way of shortening the vowels of the first uh, noun. Okay, and that's what's happening here. Now, hold on a second. This is going to like, there's a hairpin turn. But he says, and what are we referring to here? The sparks that were refined in the Egyptian exile. And then went up to be absorbed in the name Hashem. If you look at the footnote 27, he says, Teira Oir, Bay, Samach Gimel. Teira Oir is the Alter Rebbe's Maimarim. Not Tanya, but my modem of the Alter Rebbe. And it's in Parshas Bay, which makes sense because it's talking about Tzivaz Hashem, which is in Parshas Bay. The Exodus is in Parshas Bay. Um, and it's on page Samach, that's page 60, Omad Gimel, Folio 3. In the Alter Rebbe's Mimer, he says that Tzivaz Hashem, the legions, the armies of Hashem, it refers to the Jewish people, like we just said. It also, at the same time, and don't get all tripped up here, because we're talking about spiritual concepts. They can be somewhat fluid, and they can be referring to multiple things. It's also referring to the sparks. You know the idea of the sparks? The energy, the godly creative energy that makes the world exist? So the sparks, there was a heavy repository of sparks that was embedded in this crazy, evil, dark place called Mitzrayim. And when the Jewish people left, they left with those sparks. A little Kabbalistic background because it does come up here. Um, really super quick. This could be a whole class unto itself. I'm going to try to do it in less than two minutes. The sparks in two minutes. There's something called Shviras HaKalim, the shattering of the vessels. That's the shattering of the vessels in Toihu. Toihu is a reality that comes before the physical plane as we know it. In fact, it comes even before the spiritual planes that are ultimately nishtalshal into the physical plane as we know it. Um, it broke. And the vessels, the broken vessels, are like these little pockets of energy which enliven the world. This is alluded to, the Arizal says in the verse, at the very beginning of the Torah, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Merechefes, hovering, is meis rapach. 
Repach died. What's Repach? It's a number. Reish Pech has 288. 288 sparks died in the shattering of the vessels. That means there are 288 dots on the Pac-Man board. Sorry, I'm a child of the 80s. That's how I imagine it. That's how I imagine it, okay? There are 288 dots on the Pac-Man board to clear the board, all right? Now, if you don't like that metaphor, I just made it up. It's okay. You don't have to use it. At any rate, um, when we left Mitzrayim with all of the wealth of Mitzrayim, we left with those sparks because where are those sparks? The sparks are enlivening the physical world, so they're embedded in physical resources, which is why unto this day when we make use of our physical resources, L'shem Shemayim, like you eat some food and use, it, use the power to daven, so there's something called Bira Nutzutzis, you are refining the spark. Okay. When we left Mitzrayim, we left with 202 of the 288 sparks. Yeah, that is alluded to in the verse, Vegam Erev Rav, Allah Itom, and a mixed multitude left with the Jewish people. Rav, Reish base is 202. So 202 sparks were extracted. We cleared 202 Pac-Man dots out of the 288. That left, give me some math here, 86. 86 is the gematria of Hateva, the nature. That means that after Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, the only thing that was left to do was to reveal the hidden sparks of godliness that are in nature. When I say nature, I don't mean Ralph Waldo Emerson. I don't mean Henry David Thoreau walking in the woods with your bare feet. That's not what I mean by nature. You like my references? You like my Kafka reference from last year's Hanukkah year. Okay, a little literary references. When I say nature, I don't mean, that's not what I'm talking about. By nature, I mean just the fact that the created world runs in a predictable fashion where a person could actually be fooled to think that creation has no creator, God forbid, where things look autonomous. So the job has become to reveal the godliness that's hidden in the misleadingly predictable nature of the world. Okay, that is, that was longer than two minutes. That was probably more like three and a half minutes. People watching on the videos will actually count and let me know how many minutes that was. I gave you that background. Let's continue inside the mimer. Okay. The job in Mitzrayim was to refine the sparks that were in Mitzrayim, Erevis Haaretz, Mitzrayim is referred to as the lewdness of the land. It was a nasty place. It was not a nice place. It was not the kind of place where you would want to raise your kids. And these sparks were initially really hidden. You think the Mitzrayim were using their wealth in godly ways? No, they weren't. And yet all that wealth had godly potential because we took it out of there and we used it to make a Mishkan for Hashem. Okay. Now, the source of all concealment is Hashem's concealment. The name Elohim. The name Elohim. Bigamatria Hatava. Hey, did you know that? 86, I told you it was Hatava. 86 is also Elohim. There are many names of Hashem. In fact, I think I mentioned seven official names that cannot be erased. One of them is Elohim. Elohim is the name of concealment. Elohim is the name of nature. Elakim is 86, just like Hatava, which is nature. In other words, Elakim is the aspect of God that hides God from the creation. Havaya Yudke Vavke is a name of revelation. Elakim is a name of concealment. He says here like this. Now it's true, Elohim, the literal meaning is godliness, it's a name for God, and it's only the gematria, which is nature. But still, it's a na within names of God, it's a name of God that refers to the hiddenness of God. Okay. Didn't we learn that Teva is seven and eight was beyond nature? Se seven is a number of nature and eight is a number of beyond nature. Yes, we did learn that. That is true, and that's a completely different concept. This is what I want to just remind everybody. When you learn things in Chassidus, just keep different file cabinets. Keep different, it is true. What we said about seven and eight and all that stuff, don't erase that, but keep it in a separate file. 
and when we need to refer to it, we will. Very so good. So this file is called Sparks? This file is, well, right now we're in a file called Sparks, and in, within that file there's a subfile called uh, Elakim Begamatria Hatava. Okay. Well, the fact that we say that it's din and judgment is related to this concept because concealment is din. Revelation is chesed, kindness, openness, and concealment is judgment, holding back, restraint, tzimtzum. Yeah, it's related, it's consistent. Okay. And what it means basically is that the godliness comes to this world, but in a very concealed manner. That's what Teva means. We say it every day. It's in the, yeah, submerged in the sea. Teva is from the word submerged in the sea. You know why? Because when you look at the sea, all you see is the flat water. You don't realize it is as complex down there as it is up here. Do you know how much stuff is going? There's mountains down there. There's valleys down there. All types of life down there. But we just look at it, it's just flat. So that's the same thing, is that we look, you look at the watch face and you don't look at the gears behind the watch face. You look at the world, the Elakim Begamatria Hateva makes it seem like oh, it's just the world, just going, it's just, that's all it is. And we don't see behind it the spiritual complexities that are constantly enlivening everything. The light is hidden. Like it's explained in the Friedrich Rebbe's Maimorim in chapter 13. Okay, so we're now up to chapter 13, which is really close to chapter 14, which is where we need to get to. Okay? In chapter 13, the previous Rebbe explains this whole concept of concealment, how the light, how godly light comes down and is very, very, very concealed. In fact, in the previous Rebbe's Maimar in chapter 13, he speaks about it in some, I would say, almost uncomfortable ways to read. He describes the effect that it has on people. Yeah, he says how people go through their lives oblivious to Hashem's presence. And he even speaks about like religious people who are aware and they do believe, but even they succumb to certain forgetfulness from time to time just because it's hidden. And if you don't constantly look for it, you could forget. So that's what it talks about in chapter 13, like the hiddenness. If I would give you a one-word summary of chapter 13 of the previous Rebbe's Basilagani, it would say hiddenness, concealment. Okay. Omnam Hashem. However, plot twist. Through the work of Tzivas Hashem, who is Tzivas Hashem? The Jewish people who have this soldier-like devotion to Hashem. And like we said, the way we serve Hashem as Hashem's army means with bittel, with self-effacement, with surrender. We successfully elevate those sparks. We take them out of their really, really concealed state. And we bring them up to the revelation of godliness, which is Shemavaya. Tzivas Hashem. There you go. Tzivas Hashem. What's the Hashem part? Is that we take the sparks that were hidden in nature, Shemalakim, and we bring them up to Havaya, to be revealed as godliness. Which is higher than nature. We bring it from nature to higher than nature. Yeah. This Tzivas Hashem is children and adults? So you're asking that question because there's a children's organization called Tzivas Hashem, but the children's organization called Tzivas Hashem took its name from this Tzivas Hashem, which was the entire Jewish people, men, women, and children. Now, when the Jewish people were in Mitzrayim, it says during the plague of darkness that there was oyer b'meshvesam that they had light in their dwellings. 
And what does that mean? Like the commentaries explain, not only the Jews had light in their homes, but where they would go, if they would go into the house of an Egyptian, they would have like, uh, call it like a, a flashlight. Not a real flashlight, but, uh, and that's by the way what was happening during the plague of darkness, the Jewish people would, were actually able to see the hidden treasures that their former taskmasters had been hoarding. And then when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they were able to go claim those treasures, their reparations for their slavery. And they were able to say, hey, I want your Fabergé egg. And the Egyptian would say, we don't have a Fabergé egg. He said, yeah, you do, because during the Plague of Darkness, I was in your house and I saw, and it's in the third drawer to the left. And uh, then they would take the Fabergé egg. Not just in their own homes, Anywhere where one of the Jews would enter, they would have light. Even in an Egyptian home. They would have light with them. That which was in the barrel or in the, in the chest or in the safe. That was the preparation too. They cleaned out, that's how I'm going to translate it. They cleaned out Mitzrayim. When they left Mitzrayim, they cleaned it out. What does it mean they cleaned it out? Well, literally means they took the wealth. But as we understand, the wealth is really just the vehicle for bringing out the sparks. The sparks were embedded in the wealth. Okay? Birur kol nitzutzes shahoyu b'mitzrayim. They refined all of the sparks that were in Egypt. gam hayam. And then, they didn't finish just when they left Mitzrayim. Then there was the spoils of the sea. You know about that? When the chariots, the chariots were all jewel-encrusted chariots. And when the chariots came and chased the Jews into the sea and then got washed away, so then all the jewels and everything washed onto the shore. And there was another uh, reparations that went on at that moment. So there was Bizas Hayam Mitzrayim, which is actually uh, more profitable even than what they brought out of Egypt. Vahainu, what's the difference? These were sparks. Why didn't they bring them out of Egypt, these sparks? Because they weren't able to yet. So those very same sparks that they were incapable of bringing out when they left, because those sparks were way too hidden. Hold on a second. And look, what they brought out was already hidden. They needed light. To, to expose it. Remember that Mitzrim had these treasures hidden, and literally hidden, like in their safe, in their safe deposit box or whatever. But it also represents that it was spiritually hidden. And so when they left Mitzrayim, they brought out sparks that were hidden, but then there were sparks that were too hidden, meaning spiritually just it was not accessible to use these physical resources yet in a way that would serve God. So they weren't able to handle it. They couldn't touch it. But those very same sparks... Havim Pareatsmai. Pare himself brought them to us. He served them to us. And then we were able to refine those sparks, uplift them, claim them, repurpose them uh, at the sea. What were we going to say? Sorry, this is yeah. this is all part of the 202. This is all part of the 202. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The Cholze and all of this was a preparation for the giving of the Torah at Sinai. Like it says, and Moshe pushed them on to travel, meaning they were grabbing all the jewels from the seashore. And Moshe said, let's go, let's go, got to go, got to go. Got to go to Sinai. When did uh, the sea split? Shvishel Pesach, seven days after they left Mitzrayim. When was Matan Torah? Shvua, seven weeks after Mitzrayim. So we're talking about six weeks. We gotta go, we gotta go. We got six weeks. We got it. We got an appointment six weeks. We gotta go. He brought them from the spoils of the sea to receiving the Torah. This is basically what Sivas Hashem is about. The armies of Hashem is to reach in to the hidden depths and pull out those godly sparks 
and reclaim them and use them to serve Hashem. Hold on. And then, of course, what's the point of that is to make a dwelling place for Hashem where? Down here. Down here. Because we're using the physical resources, the sparks that fell down into the physical world, and using them. If this sounds too lofty, let me just say it in a very simple term. You take Egyptian wealth, and that's what you build the Mishkan out of in the, in the Midbar? You understand what we're saying? So you're taking stuff that used to conceal godliness. What were the Mitzrim doing with their wealth? I promise you, it wasn't, they weren't build, building shuls with it. They weren't building yeshivas. So you're taking something that used to conceal godliness, and you're using that very same thing to reveal godliness. That's what we're talking about, refining the sparks. That's how you make a dwelling place for Hashem in the, in the lower realms. Literally the lowest realms. And like the Alter Rebbe says, and by the way, just a little fun fact. More than fun. It's holy and serious, but it's also fun. From the very first Bosi Lagani Tavshin Yud Aleph that the Rebbe said, the Rebbe would mention by name all of his predecessors, and not just mention them by name, but relate a teaching, a teaching from all of his predecessors. In other words, in accepting leadership of the seventh generation, the Rebbe was acknowledging that our special place in history is only because of the work of what came before us. How many predecessors were there? Well, if I said it was the seventh generation... Right, then so did each generation have one? Or could yeah, one, one. So the, the, the Alter Rebbe, the Mitle Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzaddik, the Rebbe Marash, the Rebbe Rishab, and of course the previous Rebbe. So the Rebbe would mention each one of them and relate a teaching from one of them. So here, the Rebbe quotes the Alter Rebbe, in the words of the Alter Rebbe, betachten maitanya people, really surprised me, or just cheat by looking at the number of the footnote. It's not cheating, actually. It's, got, it's called scholarship. Betachten she'ein tachten lemata mimenu. The lowest realms, lower than which there is none other. Where does, that, where does the Alter Rebbe say that? Chapter 36. Chapter 36 of Tanya. Very, very good. Thank, thank you for the footnote. Okay. That's all. It's fair game. That's what the footnotes are there for. Yeah. Okay. I think what you're asking is what was explained at the beginning of this chapter, which is what is the relationship between the soldier-like surrender and the task of refining sparks? Is that what you're asking? Well, no, because it sounds like certain sparks were held onto by God to get revealed. Certain only. sparks were held onto, yeah, they were not ready yet to be refined. Access. We didn't have access, so yeah. is that because God determined... It wasn't time. Well, they were put into nature? It wasn't time, right. So regardless of our surrender, not because of our behavior, but because God determined it wasn't time. Oh, you're asking, if we would have been better, could we have finished the job? No, no, no. It, it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Okay. okay. So regardless... Just, right. Okay. Right. So just to clarify what this... Chapters talking about chapter th uh, chapter three. The Rebbe catches us up up to chapter fourteen, but not yet starting chapter fourteen of the previous Rebbe, and basically says, "Look, this world is a very very dark world. Godliness is concealed over here, and the whole job over here is to find the treasure, the hidden treasure, the hidden sparks." Just like we did when we came out of Mitzrayim. We had to find the, the, the sparks of godliness that are hidden in this dark world. And the way to do that, who refined the sparks out of Mitzrayim? Tzivah Hashem, Hashem's armies. If you want to find the sparks of godliness that are hidden in this world, the only way to do it is through soldier-like self-discipline, devotion, following the marching orders. That is the way to do it. Otherwise, you're going to go to a dark, concealed place, and not only... I don't even want to say, but it's just not going to be good. Is it time for the to yes, of course. That's when we when we talk about Mashiach. That's what we're talking about. So we know. To finish the job, we're talking about finishing the job. The whole point of Bosi Ligani is about bringing Mashiach. I mean, did I have to say that explicitly? Bosi Ligani, Hashem coming back to this world, is about 
Mashiach. I mean, the Rebbe says it explicitly in the first Bosa of Gani Tovshin Yod Aleph, 1951, that the job is to bring Hashem back to this world. Every Bosa Ligani, the basic theme that every year is how to finish the job. Okay, we just focus on different aspects of that in each year's mimer. Okay, chapter four. In this chapter four, and to understand this concept, that although the light is very hidden, and yet through our avoda, through our work, we're able to reveal the light. The previous Rebbe explains in chapter 14, which is the chapter which is corresponding to this year, and when the Rebbe says this year, the Rebbe said this in Tavshim Memdalet in 1984, so he's talking about that year, but as we know it also corresponds to this year. The second cycle, remember I told you that the Rebbe went through it two times. So Tavshim Chav Dalet, that have a study chapter 14, Tavshin Memdal, that have a study chapter 14. Kiflaim Lutishia, and that have mentions there that a double salvation, double is the number of salvation, and I guess this year is the double double, because this is the fourth time. Okay. Now, chapter 14 of the original Mimer starts where he says that. Although we just said in chapter 13 that the light is exceedingly hidden. Remember I told you if I had a one-word cha chapter title for chapter 13, it would be hiddenness, concealment. Although the light is so concealed. Nevertheless, in chapter 14, he flips it and he says a crazy thing. Hashem is enlivening everything. That the, the godly light comes down and enlivens and gives existence to everything, something from nothing. Enlivening means it's there already, it just needs to live. <clears throat> Making it exist means it, it's, it's nothing, it doesn't exist, he has to give it its existence. And like it says in the Alter Rebbe's, Tanya in Igeras HaKadosh, chapter 20, the Ha'ara, the Ha'ara, the Ha'ara, that an emanation of an emanation of an emanation, a glow of a glow of a glow, a glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer, who is present in all the creations. In other words, ultimately Hashem is right here. It may be a glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer, but Hashem is right here. We're talking about a godly light and life force which is present in all created beings. And that is present even in the lowest levels. And like it says, if I go up high in the heavens, there you are, Hashem. And if, even if I go down into the pit, into the lowest place, Hineka, there you are. Hashem is everywhere, even on the lowest levels. Hashem goes all the way down to enliven even the lowest entities. And it is the ability of everyone to understand this, to know this, that Hashem is the source of all existence and of all life. Ad kan means the end of quote, close quote. That means the Rebbe just quoted chapter 14, or f quoted from chapter 14 from the previous Rebbe. The point here, this is all I need you to understand. Anything else will be a distraction. Chapter 13 made a point. <clears throat> that the light is really hidden. You have to go play hide-and-seek to find any godly light. Chapter 14 almost sort of says the opposite and is like, and yet the godly light is present everywhere, even on the lowest level. Okay. Watch this. Just follow this. Don't think about anything else right now. Just sort of just follow this. The high no that 
chapter 13, the Rebbe's our teacher here, the Rebbe's teaching us the previous Rebbe's Mimer. In chapter 13 of the previous Rebbe's Mimer, it explains how the light is really, really concealed. In chapter 14, he explains the exact opposite. How the light comes down and shines in all places. And everywhere that it's drawn, even on the lowest levels, it's revealed. Meaning it's possible to discover God in the lowest places. Like it's emphasized by the verse that the previous Rebbe brings at the beginning of that chapter. Hashem, you, speaking to Hashem, you enliven Kulam, everything, meaning everything that exists is Hashem's Chayas, it's Hashem's life force that's in it. Viata, what does it mean, you, Hashem? Speaking to Hashem in the second person, which is a concept of revelation. In fact, in Hebrew, third person is even called Nister. When you're talking about somebody who's, yeah, it means hidden. You're talking about somebody who's out of the room. That's the third person. You, I'm speaking to someone who's right here. It means that the life force is so revealed. We speak about the life force of this world in a way where we're speaking right to Hashem. We're speaking right to Hashem. You, Hashem, you, right there, you, Hashem, you are enlivening everything. And he explains, follow, that this oir elaki, this godly light, which is present in everything, even in the lowest realms, it's not affected and it doesn't change. It's omnipresent and ubiquitous and it does not receive change from its environment. This, that there's a concept that the light is subject to change through being invested in what it is affecting. In other words, when the light is invested in something, it's affecting that thing. So that's a change. That's a change. That is referring to a specific type of energy called kayach. Now, I need you to erase all of your files because we're going to learn three words. And I don't want you to grasp at how these words correspond to any other words you know from Chassidus. I just want us to learn these three words right now. Maybe later we'll come back and plug it into other models in Chassidus. The first word is Koyach. Koyach is a potential or a power. We're going to talk about three terms which describe three levels. The first one is called Koyach. And Koyach, power, I'm going to just use the Hebrew, Koyach, is the level of energy that enlivens the world that is subject to being affected by what it does. But the light, oyer, is light that enlivens. It is not subject to any change or being affected whatsoever. So the second, now I'm not going fast, I'm going slow. The first term was? Koyach. The second term is or, light. The third term is trick question. We didn't learn it yet. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're all doing good. Okay. Okay. The yuvenzeh. This is, now I want to tell you something. I want you to re really relax here. And I don't want your frustration to get the better of you. If I were teaching this in an, advanced, in, an, in an advanced yeshiva, the students would struggle with this. So if you get lost and you get frustrated, I don't want you to blurt out, I can't follow, because I'm telling you, there are people who've been studying this their whole lives, and they study it every day, and they would be struggling. Just relax. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to mislead you. I'm going to take you through it. But you gotta just not be 
consumed with your confusion, okay? There are three lashoines, three expressions. Or, vechayus vekayach. Is that what it says there on the paper? Okay. Or, vechayus vekayach. Or is light. Chayus is life force. Some people say chius. I don't know why. In fact, most people say chius. Maybe it's grammatically correct even. In Chabad, we always say chayus. Vekoyach. Okay. Or vechayus vekoyach. The Al Terebbe writes about it in Tanya. Where exactly? He says in footnote 44 to look at chapter 12 of Shari Yuchad Vamuna. He uses these three terms. Okay. These three terms are three levels. When I say three levels, I mean one higher than the other. Or one lower than the other. Or is the highest, Kayach is the lowest. Or highest, Kayach. Yeah. Now the Rebbe quotes from the Mitla Rebbe, the Alta Rebbe's successor, his son and successor. Be Imre Bina in the Sefer called Imre Bina. Now I looked up the Imre Bina, and it is my deficiency. I didn't understand it too well from the Imre Bina. But apparently, this concept, or Chayas and Koyach, is originally in Tanya. It's explained more by the Mitle Rebbe. We have like three lines left in this chapter. I'm just going to keep plowing. Okay. Um, it's explained more by the Mitle Rebbe. Vikveig Kedushis Admer Merashab Nishmaseid Behemshech Tof Resh Ayin Base. And also the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe. In the Hemshech called Ayin Base, that means from the year 1912, although it continued for like three years. Okay? Now, if you look in footnote 46, it gives some sources in Ayin Base, in the Rebbe Rashab's Maimorim from 1912. Generally, Hemshech Ayin Base is considered one of the most um, comprehensive as well as challenging but rewarding Hasidic texts. It is literally a multi-year series of discourses. It's multi-volume, the way that it's printed. Yeah, it's voluminous. I looked up the sources in Ayin Base. I found those to be more edifying, more helpful. The Koyach who nivdol mim koyrei. A koyach is nivdol mim koyrei, detached from its source. What does that mean, that a koyach is detached from its source? Well, I'll give you an example. A person throws a stone. So now the stone is flying. But it's not attached to the person. The, the power for the stone's movement is not in, innate to the stone. To the contrary, the stone is, is inert. Its innate property is non-movement, is inertia. And a person was able to override that and impose change upon it, but that, through the koyach, but that koyach is transferred to the stone, and now it's detached from the person. So a koyach is a force or an energy that gets transferred and now becomes detached from its original source. Well, the koyach is in the stone. Yeah, it's, 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 well, it's a good question. Is it in the stone or is it acting upon the stone? Yeah, it's more acting upon the stone. Yeah. And that's why a koyach can exist in a concealed state. What does it mean, a concealed state? A koyach, like I said, one translation is a potential. Potentials, by definition, may or may not be expressed. That's the whole definition of a potential. So let's go again with the example of throwing the stone. So the koyach in the stone is really the koyach in the person, but a person isn't always throwing the stone. Or any of the other koyches and He has the ability to speak. He's not always speaking. 
I hope. I guess it's based on the fear. Well, then Bechir is another whole uh, dimension here, but you know. But a Koyach needs activation. It needs activation, right. If you get into Bechir, like, oh, do you have to choose to activate it? That's a whole philosophical discussion, not germane here. But, but the point is, yes, there needs to be a deliberate activation. Um, it's, it, it's not automatic. Now, I'm implying something that from the other categories, there could be something automatic. Ah, yes, there is. Um, and in fact, it's sort of synonymous when we say that a koyach is separate from its source, and we say that or and chayas are dovik bimkoyram, that they are attached to their source. That also implies with it a sort of, a sort of automatic process. Um, I'll give you an example. The sun shining upon the earth is an example of ayr. Literally ayr, but it's an example also of this spiritual concept called ayr. Um, it's always doing it. It doesn't need activation. It's not sometimes doing it, sometimes not doing it. I mean, you have to be in the right spot in order to get it, but um, it's always going. It's not like a koyach which can lie dormant. In fact, a koyach, in theory, could never be expressed. A person has a talent for something and they never know about it, okay? And it'll just never be expressed. All right. So, a koyach is nivdil mim separate from its source, v'lochin hu, is halam, and that's why it can be concealed. And of course, what are we describing here? We're describing three different ways in which the creator relates to the creation. Or, chayas, and koyach are three different ways in which the creator relates to the creation. Or and Chayus, those two layers, levels, they are dovuk, they are attached to their source. If you see sunlight, just follow the trail, you'll find the sun. Okay. And that's why they're revealed, they're not hidden. A koyach could be hidden. But what's the difference between Oyer and Chayas? Oyer is Bebechinus Makif, it's transcendent, it encompasses. Like when the sun shines on the earth, so the, uh, the, the, the Rebbe Rashab says this in Ayin Beis. When the sun shines on the earth, it's, it's, a, it's an external relationship. It doesn't go, by the sun shining on the earth, it doesn't go into things and like enter them and permeate them in a way that like changes them. It like washes over them. And by the way, when I was reading that, I was like, okay, I get that about light and warmth, but what about photosynthesis? And the very next line he says, and this that the sun makes the crops grow, <laughs> he says, they already exist and it just makes them bigger. It's just pressing the, you know, the just pumping up the volume. It will relate to it, okay, but, but let's just keep it simple here, okay. Chayus, however, is bechines pnimi. It goes into shabobislavshus, it's invested within. So, let's just review this. Koyach is nivdomim koydoi, separate from its source, and therefore can exist in a helim, in a, in a latent, unexpressed, hidden state. Or and Chayis are Dovik Bim Koyram, they remain attached to their source and they're always rev revealed. Um, the difference between those two, though, is that Or is Makif, it encompasses. Chayis is Bislabshus, it invests within. In other words, the light shines on something. If you have a dark room and you turn on the light, there's no difference between the dark room and the lit up room. The, the light shining in the room doesn't do anything to the stuff that it's lighting up. It just allows you to see it. But chayus, life force, yeah, it has a change. It's affecting it. And that's why we're asking here, hold on a second, when the chayus affects what it affects, does it get affected? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but a, that's our burning question. When Hashem's chayus, because we're talking about Hashem here, when Hashem's chayas enters the world, it, it clearly affects the world, but does it get affected? I thought he said no. Well, we're, we're trying to understand it because logically, 
It should. If you're talking about something that's in, it's, it's in an oifen of hislabshus, where it's investing within something, it, it's, it's forming an actual bond, an actual relationship. Like the light shining on the world, it's not affecting the light. It doesn't make a difference to the light. The light's just shining. It doesn't matter what it's shining on. But the highest is going into the thing, it's adapting to the thing, it's giving it the right voltage. It's, it's, it's clearly having a very specific effect on what it's invested in. The question is, is that reciprocal? Is it being affected? The, so in, in, the, in, in the Ayin base, he talks about the idea of this one benefits and this one doesn't lack. Or this one benefits, but the other one lacks from it. And he talks about, like, for instance, a teacher teaches a student. He says that's an example of koyach. Because, first of all, he's not doing it all the time. He has to reveal it. Then it becomes detached from him. It's nivdol mim It goes from the teacher to the student. Now the student has it independently. But also it causes a chsarin. It comes out of the teacher into the student. He says that it actually, to have to be mitzamtzim, to have to compress your thoughts like that, it does deplete you. By the way, it does. But they have the but, uh, did you learn this? Okay, so he says, there's a benefit the teacher gets after the fact which offsets the loss. So he says, there's a loss. Because when you're taking one thing and you're moving it to another thing, or like the original example of a kayak where a person throws a stone, he's expending energy. Well, he puts the energy into, uh, into the stone. But you're energized by okay, so when you teach, you, you are losing energy. It's depleting, but you gain something from it. So in the end, you could say maybe even you come out with a net gain. But there is a, a phase of zechosa. There's a sudden, there's a lack. And that's the nature of kayak. Kayak moves from one thing to another thing. And when it moves from the original source, it's not there anymore. But <coughs> but when you talk about oil, oil doesn't move from the source to the recipient. It's still, the sun isn't losing light by shining. So when we talk about oil as opposed to kayach, there's no chsarin in the mayor or in the ma'er by being mayor. The luminary being luminescent doesn't cause it to lose anything. Okay. And the same with Chayas, but the question is like this, the difference between Ur and Chayas is Ur is not Bislavshus, it's just shining. That it, I'm doing my thing and you can all benefit however you want to benefit. Chayas actually is adapted, so it's clearly changing or it seems to be changing. Okay. Let's finish up. We have like two lines here. The nature of the revelation of Chayus and the Dveikus of Chayus is not like the revelation and the Dveikus of Oyer. And yet, surprisingly, and I really hope you'll make me very happy if you tell me that you get why this is surprising. Surprisingly, the the chayis is not mishtane, it's not changing. You would think that it is being affected because of the nature of that relationship. Because the chayis is revealed and attached to its source. Therefore, even when it's invested in the created beings, Surprisingly, it doesn't change. So when we say, Hashem, you enliven all. What we mean is an aspect of God's creative energy, which is present and revealed and attached to Hashem and direct from Hashem, yet it goes into the created beings, and yet... It does. It doesn't change. What's it? The chayas, Hashem's chayas, the life force that the world is getting from Hashem, and that's surprising that it's able to have this internal connection, this 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 invested relationship, but it's not affected by it. When you say affected, you mean like diminished? Diminished. Because it yeah. could be affected in a positive way. 
Right, but what we're saying it's not affected yet at all. Yeah. Okay. It, it, well, it's Hashem. Hashem doesn't change. Right. Right. But, but that's the paradox because it's an aspect of Hashem which is quote unquote changing, meaning to adapt to us. But as much as he's adapting to us, he's not being adapted. Chas v'shalom. Right? Follow what we're saying? Okay. So here's the deal. Chapter 4 of Tavshin Memdalit. Summary. The Fidik Rebbe in chapter 13 of his series of Maimotim said, Oh, Hashem is so hidden, 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 hidden. And then chapter 14, the Fidik Rebbe says, Oh, but you know what? Hashem's right here. And the Rebbe says that if you want to understand how we could say that, how we can say both of those things, the Rebbe says the key to that is understanding these three terms. Or, Chayas, and Kayach. Right. Okay. All right. Right. You did it. You did it. You did it. Okay. Thank you.